0: I am Joshua Hale Fialkov. I was the writer of Spider Man Who Am I and Alpha, and you are listening to the amazing Spider Talk.
1: Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. will be in 1962. Or last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The Amazing Spider talk. The Amazing Spider Talk. Come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for The Amazing Spider talk.
2: Hello and welcome to The Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Amy Sandifer, the red-headed girlfriend of your usual host, Dan Gavosden.
3: And I'm Erin Hadley, the red-headed wife of your usual host, Mark Janachio.
2: Thanks for joining us for a special Essentials episode of Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans, hmm, that's questionable, and collectors also questionable, as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture.
3: Technically speaking, I own half of the entire run minus the annuals. For this episode, we'll be discussing a potential essential Spider-Man comic of the week. This week, we will be discussing Mark's Pick spider-man blue then we'll be giving out some prizes and concluding with some flash thompson's flash reviews
2: in the spirit of sadie hawkins day this february 29th we thought we'd invite on some special guests to join us for our regular show dan and mark hooray
0: dan what has happened
1: (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i just kind of woke up and this was going on Well, technically speaking, February
3: 29th is uh, Leap Day. A, A lot of places in America call it Sadie Hawkins Day, although Sadie Hawkins Day actually has a really misogynistic origin. The official date for that is in November, but I think most high schools had Sadie Hawkins Day's dances on February 29th. So the deal with Leap Day is that it is the day when um, it only happens every four years, and women are allowed to turn the tables on men, so things like women can propose to men um, that 's the, the big gender bending item throughout history with this one. For this one we 're just going to take your podcast from you.
2: Yeah, but I, I kind of want to make as much as men too, so I yeah. love that idea. well that 's great because we make only for one day.
0: What do I say? We make nothing on this show, so uh, go right ahead.
2: Okay. I want to make more of nothing. Thank you.
1: Equality!
0: Dan, do we want to get into the Spider-Man review, blue review?
1: Only if our overlords allow us to.
3: I think we can allow that.
2: Yeah, I guess we'll make it happen.
0: My funny valentine. Sweet comic valentine,
1: you make me smile with my heart, your looks are laughable,
0: unphotographable. I think I just blew myself.
1: (laughs) There's got to be a better way to say that.
2: It was a little too early for that one, Mark,
3: don't you think? I wasn't ready. I wasn't I was not nearly prepared. So Spider Man Blue, guys.
1: Blue.
0: Um, should I define why I find it essential, Dan? Or uh are we is this irrelevant to the conversation?
1: Yeah, why don't you get why don't you start us off here, Mark? Get get us get us going into this conversation. All why, right. I'll... Why do you think this book is essential?
0: Um <laughs> You know, this this would have been one of those moments where having my notes in front of me would be great. <laughs> but I didn't write notes. <laughs> no, uh in all seriousness. I for me, you know, the 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 romantic angle of Spider-Man comics has always kind of been, you know, in addition to the superheroics, kind of this this the key part to to the comics uh mythology and and for me, Blue is kind of like the the best representation of the, um, the Romita, Stan Lee years of the, you know, where, you know, people like to joke that the comics kind of became like Archie and Betty and Veronica almost where the focus shifted very dramatically. And, you know, for some people it was... A good change, you know, other people wanted the old Ditko stories back, but this kind of, like, encapsulates and glorifies that era, you know, and and, I mean, and not for nothing, I just also feel like this is the most sentimental and and intimate that we've seen Peter in a Spider-Man story, and I, I feel like that side of him is important, because we do have these moments over the years of introspection with him, um, you know, the internal monologue that Dan likes to talk about a lot. Um, I mean this comic is all internal, it's all introspective, and I think that it it really kind of brings forth that that really critical part of his character. Um but I you know, part of the reason why we wanted to have Aaron and Amy on was you know, Dan and I—we've we've talked about this comic in the past. We've talked about other comics involving Peter and Gwen, or Peter and Mary Jane, but but as women, and, and you know, even more specifically, women who don't have not really—you you both have not read Spider-Man the way, you know, to the degree that Dan and I have. I mean, what did you think of the the, the idea of relationships and love and intimacy and everything in in terms of how these things are projected in this comic?
3: Personally, I I know, I mean, I married someone who owns every single issue of Amazing Spider-Man. I'm very very familiar with the stories. I have read some of them. I have read your writings about them. Um, I thought this piece had a lot of beauty and emotion in it. It was um it was a mournful story. It was a story that, through the art, the art was stunning. Um, through the art and through the the choice of language, there was um, his his pain and his regret was obvious throughout. As you know, Peter is sending his sort of post mortem love letter apology. To Gwen, um, it, it was moving. I, it, it has the story itself has pieces that frustrate me, but overall, I thought it was beautiful. It um, it definitely evoked an emotional response in me. Um, Amy, I'm going to throw it over to you. What were your initial thoughts?
2: I uh, I really struggled with it, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you and I may agree on some of the things that are frustrating about it, but. I I feel like the one thing that sticks out most for me is that the women in this book are represented through the eyes of a man and they're not fully fleshed out. I don't get a sense as to why he had any sort of emotional connection to either of them. Uh, It really just seems purely physical. uh, And uh, that was frustrating to me just knowing that while this book was written in the style of you know 1960s era spider-man books uh, it was written far more recently to our current time so uh, I, I don't know I, I don't know if that coloring of, of women or characterization of women uh, is based on it being kind of a throwback or if That is just how some of the writers view those characters, or if you know, it was really just all through Peter's eyes, and therefore um, establishing an emotional connection may not have been necessary because in his uh, expression throughout this book, his internal uh, monologue that he has, um, you know, he knows why he feels the way that. these women um but it would have been nice to get a, a better sense of that so uh but i i do agree that the book itself is beautiful the artwork is amazing um i felt frustrated with it until about the last six pages or so
3: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> um but that's not necessarily a bad thing
3: no i i completely agree and i think that as um as someone who was familiar with the stories and I understood that this was really just taking events almost uh, in some areas, almost like a panel for panel uh, representation. Um, I, I I cut it a lot of slack in terms of um, not giving us more information on the women, because I think that sale and lobe, took for granted that the audience would already know certain things they they would know that peter had pined for gwen for a long time and that he was attracted to her for her mind i mean peter was not initially attracted to mj for her mind i don't think that anyone
1: could ever make that argument um i don't necessarily know that you can make that argument about gwen to be honest (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well,
3: I, I think that I, that may not have been why he was attracted to her initially, but I think that throughout the story, because, I mean, he was a he was a teenage boy, right. so I don't think that the first thing that most sixteen-year-old um, boys think to themselves when they see a a beautiful young blonde woman is to say, wow, she is really great at calculus. You know, that's, that's not like the first thing that runs through your mind. So I I get that. And to a certain extent, I forgive that, but I agree. I would have liked, um, I would like to know what was going on in these women's inner worlds and by the same token, I understand that this is Peter's story. It's literally Peter talking into a tape recorder. So there's no way for this not to be his version. Um, but it would be nice to, to get to read that story where it really is what's going on in the lives of, of Gwen and MJ, like really getting it from their angle.
0: I mean, the, you know, something to keep in mind, you know, this the, this story was part of a run of miniseries actually they just had another variation of it from jeff Loeb and and tim sale the the captain america white where these are like these very nostalgic uh, look back kind of reinterpretations of of old comics um and you know something that i've always liked about this i mean you know spider-man blue came out what was like 2001 2002 give or take um you know it it, the 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 nostalgia of it it's like you know it, it even though in the real time of these characters lives these events happened only a few years ago i feel like this really plays to the fact that these events in 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 you know Calendar time took place in in the silver age which was the 1960s and it was this very you know even though the world wasn't that innocent at that point comics at that point were still innocent this was at a point before comics were taking on more political tones in terms of you know i mean that came more kind of like in the 70s post vietnam and all that where where you know people saw the medium as a way to 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 tell a bigger message um so the, the there is like this kind of leave it to beaver quality to it like an aweshucksness um to it but for me I, I I find that it's done with elegance so I can kind of forgive some of the the characterizations that that you we, you couldn't get away with in today's comics, you know what I mean? Because it's like it, it kind of like tells it through this lens of another time, where you know these things, you know, making women fully realized characters—they just weren't important. You know what was important were the heroes and and their struggle, and you know, like that's something that Stanley like prides himself in—that his heroes had these struggles uh, that that like you know other heroes didn't. They, Batman Superman etc so I mean That's that's not me Refuting anything That either of you have said but it's Just kind of you know I think it's as As a long term fan of the story It's one of the things that I'm Fond of is, is like this Very nostalgic um, Innocence To it that really It's kind of almost Refreshing to have that In a modern comic instead of something that's kind of dour and even though it's a sad story there's i don't know like i said the 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 the, the naivete of some of the earlier sequences is kind of like oh you know like they they couldn't you you don't see that in comics anymore either
1: yeah i think you can you can make the 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 case that you guys made but i think for me whenever i read this the one And I I hate to start this on like a sour note because I do really like this book like you, Mark, is that I feel like Gwen looms heavy over this book in the narration. But in terms of page count, Gwen doesn't really show up as much. In fact, I think if you were just to read this without the narration, you would think that this is Mary Jane's book, you know, and then and towards the end, it kind of does, you know, in a shocking twist or not really shocking for those who know you know, anything about Spider-Man, uh, you know, is that, you know, Mary Jane would eventually become, uh, you know, the love of his life, you know, after after Gwen and, and whatever, it won't get into the history of modern Spider-Man comics, but Mary Jane looms heavy, sometimes even I think even heavier than Gwen in this book, and it's presented, I think, as a more complicated character, which I think is... In essence, she eventually became a far more complicated character in the comic.
3: Oh, absolutely. I I would definitely agree with you on that because I think that just in terms of timing, the character of Gwen Stacy was killed off In a year when, uh, I mean, she was, I don't want to say a two dimensional character, but she wasn't fully fleshed out because that's just not what the writers of comic books were doing at that time. Her role was to be the love interest. She was the paramour. She was the damsel in distress who got flung from the bridge. Spoiler alert. Um, Stanley's
1: wife stand in.
3: Yeah that's I, I Stanley was mad about that I heard um but in in any event and you know and then we we get to spend more time in in real time more time with MJ so over the years, the writers had a lot more time to develop her. People started to um, demand fully fleshed out uh, female characters. You know, she's an interesting woman. Gwen, had they taken the time to really give her all the details she deserved, would have been an even more fascinating character, which I think is um, something that I would have loved to have more of from this book. But Taking the book at face value as just um a looking back as a as a retrospective you know looking back on a period of of Peter's life through the lens of experience um it, it was it was interesting for me to see how that colored things you mentioned how um Gwen is spoken about but she's not as present in terms of time, you know, image on the pages. And I think it's it's interesting because I feel like part of what Peter is trying to work through in this conversation that he's having with himself is not just the loss of Gwen, the way he uses his language, the way he talks about the date, you know, the limited time they have, it almost seems like he accepts that he accepts that she's going to die it's that he is having a hard time wrestling with the loss of potential. He's looking back and regretting all the things they didn't get to do in that short period of time. All the what does he say? All the dates we we didn't have, all the you know, how many more kisses could we have had, things like that. And then it's almost not her but but what he missed of her. Mm-hmm. Like so i think idea it's interesting of her. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah,
2: an idea of her that he didn't have, really, or he had an idea of her, but he didn't have the reality of that idea. Um, But he
3: missed it.
2: Yeah, and I also, I also just hearing you talk, Erin, there's something about when you're remembering someone or remembering, uh, you know, how you got to know someone. uh, Yeah, I, I think, especially if they're, if they're not currently in your life, It's very easy to kind of remember the idea of them more than the reality of what happened. And so I think that may also be another reason why she's not visually present on the page in the way that MJ is. And
1: we don't see her death, like the most famous Gwen moment, recreated. There's a nod to it with the rose on the bridge, which Mm -hmm. I think is quite lovely. But Mm -hmm. he doesn't feel the need... It's, it's it's I mean, I wouldn't be the first to say this, that Gwen is a stand-in representation of Peter's innocence, his youth, that he loses, you know, uh, at, at a certain point. And, you know, the book is less about, to me, like about the love of these women and more about, like, what it was to be young and involved in this lifestyle with your friends and things happen. There's a p- moment where he says, like, MJ has a way of things, making things happen really fast, and you really feel that when she like comes into the scene, she's like, boom, boom, boom. I'm gonna have this, this, and this, and you know, I think back to my own life and the kind of people that made me feel that way in, during my teenage years, and that's kind of how it is. I feel like when you're young, is like things just happen and you go with it, and I, and maybe he's thinking back to a kind of a more reflexive time of his life. Um, and a lot of that plays into the kind of like Ar, art, you know, Archie and Betty and Veronica ness of this story.
0: Well, just just to build off what Aaron was saying, I mean, you know, and another reason why I would view this as an essential story is, um, you know that that kind of that look back and and you know to be young again, the innocence of that, you know, and and that feeling of regret being kind of put forward by Peter all stems from the fact that, you know, due to the core characteristics of this, of, of who Peter is, he missed out on all this stuff. Cause he's oblivious. He misses, he, he doesn't see that these women are legitimately interested in him because he's Spider-Man and he has to honor that responsibility. He, he misses parties. He misses, you know, like he, he's not just deprived of that because, Gwen died prematurely. He's deprived of that because of who he is as a person. And even in looking back, it's just making him realize even more what he missed out on. And there's nothing he can do about it because this was kind of, you know, with great power, must also come great responsibility. He had to kind of continue this ideal. And I feel like that's a really quintessential part of who Peter is, that that sense of, you know, like it gets dramatized in the movies like, Oh, you know, like in the Raimi movies, like he couldn't be with MJ because he was Spider-Man. But like, to me, this is, I feel a more nuanced representation of that idea. It's it's not so much that he's actively like, no, I can't do this because you'll be in danger. It's, it's, it's just, I can't do this because I can't even think of having that life when I have this more important thing that I need to honor.
1: Well, let's talk about Peter Parker because if this book gave us maybe a little too little of Gwen and MJ, it really is Peter's book and he is a large presence in it. And so I have a couple of questions for you, but I, w- I want to maybe selfishly ask Amy a question. Uh, it's your first Spider-Man comic you ever read. What is your takeaway about Peter Parker – in this book compared to how you've seen him, I guess, or what you know of him from just a lifetime of pop culture, Peter Parker representations?
2: Well, I I actually feel kind of, I'm like the odd person out in this whole conversation (laughs) because all of you have read at least some Spider-Man and then this was my first. You know, I've read some Batman and I've read um you read that, saga you read man
1: over my shoulder saga
2: saga so good it is uh, so good <laughs> but we don't have to get into that here we can start our own <laughs> podcast erin uh anyway, i love it so uh, yeah i don't know i think uh i was charmed by peter in this I, he totally is would have been the type that i well the type that i still go after <laughs> oblivious <laughs> but smart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, I, that was, you know, right on point for me in terms of what I had experienced uh, through other forms of media before. Uh, I think I found him to be very funny, especially in the suit. Um, I I don't know. I, I, I liked him. He, he was uh, to get back to one of Mark's earlier points, this whole book has a kind of uh, hmm, safe, comfortable, 1960s, easygoing vibe to it. There's not anything aggressive about him or um, really that angsty. Uh, and I, you know, watching certain movie versions of Peter Parker... I feel like I got more angst in those versions than in this version. Uh, I don't know. I liked him. I'd go on a date with him.
1: <laughs> See? Point proven. He's a chick magnet. <laughs> yeah. no, there is there is something interesting to that because I love in this book how his not having time for anybody only makes people more interested in him. And how that adversely plays out for Flash Thompson, who used to be like the big man on campus, and nobody wants to give him the time of the day because he's just too eager. But
2: that's that's just basic psychology, though. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. the More you limit your, uh, you know, interaction with somebody, it draws them
1: in. Aaron, tell us about your flirtation techniques.
3: My, my, you know how I get discounted comic books. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>.
3: oh. <laughs> I want to hear about that. (laughs) Oh, you want to legitimately? Sure. All right. Um, (laughs) One of the, um, as I I have said before, um, until we get equal pay for equal work, I will use every tool in my toolbox. I went to a comic book show with my husband and we were looking for um, issues to fill his then incomplete collection, and still incomplete,
1: um, I'll re- remind you because oh, the annuals, annuals, the
3: annuals, <laughs> Leave alone. Dan. Leave alone. <laughs> Thank you, Amy.
0: Thank you, Amy.
3: Um, so, which issue was it where MJ was dancing?
0: It's AS, it's Amazing Spider Fifty Nine. It's got MJ in a little go-go outfit on the cover. I mean, it's very it's very scandalous for the time, right? Which was just,
1: referenced in this book?
3: Yes. Yes. So um, Mark spotted it, mentioned that he was interested. And so I told him to get lost. And I went over to the cellar, um, a, a gentleman, a nice gentleman, the purveyor of that particular comic stand. And um, I told him I wanted to see that, that Spider-Man comic with the red-haired girl on it. And he brought it down, and I said, oh, I just, I love it. She's dancing, and it's such a pretty comic. How much is it? And he quoted me a price, and I pouted. And I said, oh, well, that's a lot of money. And he said, all right, well, I'll, I'll knock off a third. And I said, oh, wow, thank you. And then in a move that I'm not even that proud of, I said, how much is that? Math is hard.
1: <laughs> you did not.
3: I did, and he knocked a few more dollars off because I, in fact, am very good at math.
1: <laughs> That's Ma- so cute. Math is hard. This is the day feminism died.
2: Man, I, I am, okay, I don't know if I should be okay with saying this statement, but I am, I guess. Oh, God. I am impressed by that and wish I had that same ab- ability, but I'm way too awkward. And-
1: She's legitimately bad at math, so there you go. That's actually
3: true, <laughs> <laughs> but um, in terms of piggybacking on what Amy was saying before about uh, Peter, I-, I think she she had absolutely the right word. Uh, he's charming. He's he's completely charming. The way he's so sweet with Aunt May. The way he touches her face, and in the way he's the, the way that he's in love with these these two women. It's there's something so innocent about it. I mean, they're so vavavoom in the way they're drawn and you don't get the sense that he's he's, you know, being lecherous or leering at them. He looks like a a puppy dog who's love-struck and there's there's such a sweetness and such an innocence. And granted that might be um the fact that This is a memory. It's nostalgic. So, of course, everything will be everything will seem much more innocent when you're looking at it through the lens of experience. But um, I just think uh, charming is is absolutely the perfect word for Peter.
1: I think it's that kind of nostalgia is reflected in the art, too. Like, I mean, clearly the art is a throwback to Romita, who I don't know what version of this you own, but my hardcover version Romita Sr. does the intro to the book. He wrote, like, a couple pages, which are kind of funny because he admits that he, like, just glanced through the book because he didn't have a lot of time. (laughs) Is that the version you have?
3: Yes, yes.
1: And uh, anyway, yeah, but, like, everything is kind of, like, I don't know how to say this, like, puffy? Like, the inks are, like... You know, thick line work or, you know, alternating with thin sometimes. But the big puffy snowflakes, there's something really warm and like old fashioned about that that I just it just I fall in love with the art every time I look at this book.
3: The art is stunning and and granted, I I don't know a lot about the um, the Spider-Man artists you know that's not i can't i can't quote who i like i mean i know i know there's mcfarlane and there's uh ramita and there's you know names that i've heard mark say ramita oh yeah ramita senior and ramita jr right Mm -hmm. okay um see look at that
0: and and dicko
3: dicko yes i i of course um but um
2: no, I, but I've already heard about those from you. I know. Yeah, that's, that's
3: where I've absorbed all of this from from Mark. But I couldn't sit here and say, "Oh, you know, the the Spider Man that I really really like is 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 Spider Man or or McFarlane Spider Man or or this or that." It's, but I, I can tell you that I responded to this artwork. It it was beautiful, and and the the way. Uh, the way they capture the emotion of the piece and say things without ever using dialogue, I think that that is not an easy thing to capture in comics, that kind of nuance. I think that it's probably a very select group of artists that can convey the kind of emotion um, that, that was very successfully conveyed here. I don't know. You can tell me that I'm completely wrong, and I just made that up. But that—that that was, uh, you know, I had a very visceral reaction to a, a lot of the panels. Um, you know, I'd, I'd felt my breath catching in my throat, especially, especially towards the end. I, I think Amy made reference to like the last six pages or something like that. It, it's, it's stunning. It moved me.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, it's just filled with these iconic. Like I always think of. Gwen and Peter on the motorcycle in the beginning, and the "I like it fast" just kind of being like the only words on the page. I just there's something about that visual that kind of like stops you short. Again, probably because you 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 know a little bit about these characters. You know, I will say like from a from what I don't like about this this comic is, I mean, I almost and I understand the importance of it, but like really all of the costume stuff I find as a distraction. In this comic, like, it's, like, it, it takes away from the story. Are you
2: but talking have- about the, the villain? Costumes well, just, or just costumes in general?
0: Just, just, just this the super heroics, you know, the the, the token, you know, Spider-Man versus Craven versus Vulture. I mean, you know, like, it's necessary, but it does, you know, it, it kind of takes you out of the verve of, I want to hear this more of this other story that i haven't heard about you know like i i read the original issues from the 60s i know what happens when spider-man and the vulture face off here or craven you know i want to but like you know this is like filling in the gaps um in terms of this other story that they didn't really get into detail of telling so i wanted to hear more of that
3: But I almost feel like that's the point, that this story is focusing more on Peter Parker as the human. And when his superhero duties call, it is a distraction. It is annoying. He doesn't want to be fighting two uh, fake birds when he could be dancing with two birds inside the party. See, you see what I did there? Ah, You see what I did? Um, but I, I always, I that to me felt intentional.
0: Oh no, it absolutely is intentional. I'm just saying it's, you know, as a reader, I'm like, ah, I know this. I want to get back to the stuff I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's just a kind of a a a, a visceral reaction to it. You know?
1: I like all the stuff with Norman Osborn, though. The the idea that like there's an additional complication around Harry. I kind of like. You know in an ideal world, there would be twelve issues of this book, and I wonder if maybe there was more because there 's that moment where uh, where uh Craven is looking back on like Doctor Octopus and other villains that have fought spider man who don 't make an appearance in this book and I wonder if maybe there was a a longer version of this plan but I would love i I would love if this whole storyline had played its way. Through the Death of the Goblin, because I feel like they do a good job of setting up, like, that there's some complication with Norman that's going to lead to something. And I guess it kind of implies all of that stuff off-panel. But, like, I don't know, maybe part of me just wishes I could see that in Tim Sale's artwork. But uh, I think the Norman stuff is really interesting. And and not to move on to another point, but... what. When he's fighting these villains and Tim Sale goes into those giant splash pages of Spider-Man flipping around the city fighting the two vultures or whatever. I mean stunning stuff.
0: Um, Really big, huge, critical question though for Amy and Aaron here. What did you think of the Osborne hair? (laughs)
2: is it supposed to look like a brillo pad like is that was that the goal or i'm sorry i'm sorry to the artist if that's offensive but seriously it's so bad it
3: was
1: he has like they refer to them as the tootsie roll i
2: don't even know how to talk about this you guys i'm like visually i'm showing people what i mean yeah we're recording audio okay
3: what about you I felt the need to take a shower after looking at that hair. I just felt like I just need like clarifying shampoo and like an hour. <laughs> um it was it, it was not attractive. Was was that ever attractive? Like historically was that ever Yeah, was
1: that, a ever, yeah, that, a was that ever?
3: Yeah, is that something like because I'm assuming that that's inspired by the original hair from yeah. the 60s. So like did people think it looked good then like were kids getting it for like a nickel off of off of the newspaper sitting going, gee williker I want my hair to look like that almost, or was it always supposed to be awful I guess I
2: almost feel like it hairstyles were kind of especially for men well they are now too but they're it, it was utilitarian so they didn't know what else to do with his hair so that's what they did <laughs> uh-
0: I think one of my favorite things of all time in the world of comics, and, and Amy, I don't know if you saw Deadpool with Dan or it not. Was oh, you awesome. did!
2: Awesome, go see it, guys. Go see it. Uh,
0: so um, there's an issue of Deadpool where he actually, like, quantum leap style, goes back in time as Peter Parker to one of the issues that is featured in Spider-Man Blue. Um, so it's Deadpool as Peter, and the whole time. Every time one of the Osborne comes in he's just like seriously what is with that hair? <laughs> like this
2: is... <laughs> I'm going to have to read that now.
0: Yeah, that's it's a great it's issue. A, it's a great issue.
1: <laughs> just just like, to bring it. I feel like we mentioned that issue like every other show. Like Well, because it's issue. a
0: well, yeah, but you know, this is for uh, an expanded audience today.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I mean, like, we ought to do an episode just on that issue at some point.
0: Yeah, I think we should. <laughs> Anything else we wanna we wanna uh, quiz them about, Dan?
1: Well, I mean, I guess we've mentioned the final pages of of this book, but we haven't really discussed what occurs in the final pages. So, like, why why did you guys find that moving? Uh, you know. Wh- because it implies a lot of history between the characters that you don't necessarily get in this book. And so I'm curious, was it enough for you to make that emotional connection?
3: Um, Amy will be able to speak more to this as someone who's never read a Spider-Man comic before. For me, I um, I thought that what was so beautiful was that they they were able to take the whole Betty and Veronica vibe that they had been playing with the whole comic and throw it completely out the window because the whole idea of you know Gwen was the love of his life you know that that you know maybe his love with MJ is cheapened because of that or or you know just the question of does one love invalidate another? Should MJ be threatened by his continued feelings for Gwen? The fact that she overheard Peter, and Peter, it breaks my heart, reacted initially in sort of shame and embarrassment out of fear that that maybe MJ would take it the wrong way. And without wasting a panel, without any extraneous dialogue we learn that mj and peter are so closely bonded that she is in no way threatened by peter honoring the memory of his well i don't want to say first love um but his his great love um because she understands that in no way is the love that she shares with him diminished by honoring the love that he had for Gwen and so the fact that she just says you know tell her that i miss her and she just walks away to leave peter with his with his thoughts i i couldn't breathe it was just perfect that that one that one series of panels was just completely perfect because it was probably the most honest and poignant part of the entire book to me.
2: No, I, I agree. I don't even know what I would add to Aaron's comments uh, because I agree with them entirely. But um, I I felt at that point, some sort of emotional connection to MJ and had a better understanding of Peter's connection to Gwen and to MJ and so those last few pages really um, they say a lot without you having to know a lot about the trajectory of all of these stories that weave together Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think, yeah, there's a lot of subtlety and honesty, like Aaron said, in in those last few pages, and I, yeah, it was it was beautiful and heart wrenching and loving, and uh, yeah, it was everything.
1: To be a little less emotional, did you guys notice that there are uh, a series of tapes labeled accordingly to the issue numbers that? Mm-hmm. Uh, that he that the com- I always thought that was an interesting conceit, that each yeah. comic is like a cassette tape.
2: Way to
3: take us away from emotion, Dan. I'm
2: sorry. <laughs>
1: well, I'm always doing that. There
3: <laughs> were five cassettes plus one in the recorder. That makes six tapes.
1: You are good at math.
3: I told you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did I did want to say before we end this conversation that we got an email like three months ago because you and Mark and I had been... Like implying that we were going to talk about Spider-Man Blue for a while, and this guy Brian Huberty, who's a, a you know a fan of the show, wrote in begging us not to do Spider-Man Blue, and so <laughs> Brian, I have to tell I have to tell you I'm sorry, like you know I know I think we probably addressed a lot of the issues that you have with the book. So I just wanted to say, Brian, we got your email, and we did it anyway. So. <laughs> do do with that Take from that what you want <laughs>
0: I have nothing else to add To this I mean I think Having Amy and Aaron on was a lot of fun Wouldn't you say Dan
1: Yeah yeah uh, Enough fun that we should keep doing the rest of the show with them What do you think Mark
0: Alright well you know Why don't, why don't, why don't they take a, a quick breather While we get to our Flash Thompson Flash reviews
1: Alright that's fair
0: Dan, like you're hearing the, the, the queen music in the background right now, which means it's time for Flash reviews, but Dan, um it, it's been a couple of weeks since we did this, and, and Flash isn't here.
1: What do you mean he's not there?
0: I, I, he, he hasn't been around in, like, weeks, and, and I don't know what's going on. Um, Have you called wait, the ho-
1: police? I mean, he could be you know, like, passed out in a ditch somewhere.
0: No. Or I, 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 are, are crashing
1: I, his car into a school.
0: Wait wait hold on hold on Dan there's 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 a knock at the door. Let me um uh, Who 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 is who is this? What's, can I can I help you miss?
3: Hi, are you um Mark Ginocchio?
0: Yeah, what was there something wrong? Is, is is this about Flash? Is Flash okay?
3: Um yes, it is about Flash and I need to have a word. Oh, is that is that a uh, Daniel? Is that, is that your little partner? Is that your friend? Okay, I need to have a word with the both of you. I am Betty. I am coming on behalf of Eugene. He has been getting into a bit of trouble, and I think that you two boys have something to do with it.
0: So wait, are you Betty Brandt?
3: You know my work.
0: Uh, you were an excellent journalist, but, you know, you also have a sense of uh, a history of getting around a little bit uh, you...
3: Um excuse me I'd like you to watch your tone sir
1: I'm washing my hands of this
0: So so Betty so what your Flash isn't coming by anymore what's going
3: on No Flash is most certainly not Coming by anymore He is staying home He is in treatment The way you two have been enabling him You have been Feeding him Forcing alcohol down his throat He is sick And this is not It is wrong. It is juvenile. And I am sick to my stomach thinking of how many times he has gone out there and risked alcohol poisoning. The hospital bills that we have run up, the debt that he is going to go into because of rehab. And it's because of the two of you. What do you have to say for yourselves?
0: Yeah, what What do you you have to say for yourself, Mark? Were you surprised when Ned Leeds was revealed as the Hobgoblin? I am
3: here to talk about accountability, gentlemen. And I think it is time for the two of you to start being accountable for your behavior, for the role that you played in Eugene's downfall. You should be ashamed
0: of yourselves. Well, Dan, on that note, do you want to do our flash reviews?
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's do it.
0: Wow. Um, You know. I kind of feel a little flaccid in terms of opinions right now. Is she right. still there? Um, no. Wait, wait. hold on. I think she's got one more thing to say.
3: You disgust me.
0: Okay. Now, now, now she's gone. Let's do the flash reviews. You know the drill, everybody. When you know now that that we've you know humiliated ourselves. 60-second reviews, and and Dan, remember, it is 60 seconds, not 30 seconds. I know that that the the time and the difference confuses you sometimes.
1: Yes, I know. I know. I messed up last week.
0: Yes, you always mess up.
1: (laughs) You're (laughs) You're just taking all of your bile that you would have directed at Flash and directing it at me now.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: Let's talk about Spider-Man number one, Mark, and you can get it started.
0: Sounds good, Dan. Count me in, please. I will count you in in three, two, one. So after some delays caused by Secret Wars, we finally get Miles Morales in the 616, and I thought it was... Just fine. Honestly, I love Miles as a character. and think the Ben picelli team is the perfect way to go for a Miles relaunch. But I do have some concerns about what Marvel is ultimately, pun intended, trying to achieve here. Because the entire supporting cast more or less carried over. Miles is not so much a fish out of water, but rather the same story with a new desktop photo in the background. Sure, nobody wants to see poor Ganky die in an incursion, but can we get some sense of stakes for Miles here? I mean, I like this comic a lot. But I do think the status quo needs to be put on notice. I'm going to say fan club certified, but with some caveats. All right, Dan, I'm going to count you in in three, two, one.
1: Mark, I'm mixed on the return of Miles Morales in Spider-Man Number 1. While I'm excited to get a street-level Spider-Man story written in Bendis's decompressed, relatable style, I've been hugely mixed on how Miles has been handled as a character since his introduction. Reading this book has not eased my troubles with the character, as much of what I liked and didn't like about him returns in this run. Sarah Pacelli's artwork is obviously gorgeous and energetic in the same way it was when Miles first debuted, but I can't help but feel like this is Bendis just hitting the redo button. I felt like he'd seriously dropped the ball on making Miles a relatable down-to-earth character the way he did with Peter because he never gave more than a glimpse into Miles' day-to-day life, instead focusing way too much on his overpowered Venom Sting. Here we get a little bit of both, and I'm hoping that Bendis knows we're sick of the Venom Sting and want to spend more time with Miles. So I'm watching you, Bendis, but I'm calling this one Fan Club Certified.
0: I love how we're both kind of like, we have issues, but...
1: Uh... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but I, thought let... it, I thought it was a good comic, but I'm, like, ready for Bendis to slip back into his thing, which is, like, consequence-free Miles writing where we don't get to see any of his day-to-day life. But I- I'm hoping that's changed.
0: I think that's totally fair. All right, well, our next one up is Spidey number three.
1: All right, Mark. Three, two, one.
0: All right, so this is another comic. I think on its own merits, I find to be quite good, but there's just a bit of an aw shucks hunky doriness that's starting to grate on me after three issues. Spidey is basically Spider-Man for millennials, and while I can forgive the issues of pes- those issues of pesky continuity, the larger issue that's being presented here is what exactly is the point of this book? I'm not learning anything new about the character or how Marvel even sees the character in 2016, but rather just getting a rehash of early adventures with snarkier dialogue and updated origin stories, a la John Burns chapter one. Uh, the flaws of this concept seem to be further exacerbated by the fact that Miles' arrival to the Spider-Book rotation has just occurred, and he's kind of that teenage Spider-Man fix thing going on. So I'm going to say Puny Parker, though, again, I didn't hate this book, but I, I'm, I'm starting to have issues with Spidey.
1: All
0: right. So. I think we're
1: pretty liberal about our Puny Parkers. They don't necessarily mean we hated the book. It's just like, what, what is going on? Exactly.
0: Exactly. All right, Dan. So I'm going to count you in in three, two, one.
1: Mark, I agree with you on all those points, but I still can't get over just how fun this series is and how much it really captures the irreverent, done in one feel of the Stan Lee, Steve Dicko days of Spider Man. Yes, there's a threadbare plot that connects all these stories, but I am enjoying how Robbie Rodriguez manages, not Robbie Rodriguez. Robbie Thompson manages to stuff so much heart and moralizing into each story. I wouldn't tell someone to go out and buy this book if they wanted to follow Spider-Man, but if you wanted a glimpse into what made him so beloved when he first appeared, with some more ban- bantery dialogue and modern visuals, I think this is that book. I don't suspect that it has longed for this world, but if you're a parent with a kid who wants to pick up a comic, I can't think of a better book to show them to, you know, Spider-Man with. This particular issue, the repetition, like you said, is starting to show, and the lizard scenario to me is the thinnest yet. But still, that artwork uh, and that likable Peter, mmm, I like it. Fan club certified.
0: Were you eating a chimichanga or reacting to a comic book, Dan?
1: You know, sometimes I I mistake the two and I accidentally eat the comic book.
0: Well, speaking of chimichangas, Spider-Man Deadpool number two is up next. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to count you in in three, two, one. Well, everything is coming up Deadpool these days, and that's kind of a good thing for the Spider-Office. This series is just wacky fun and the kind of team-up book that I think we need from Spider-Man these days. I was a little surprised by the appearance of a certain fishbowl-headed adversary in this comic, as it seems to cancel out his potential occlusion in Dead No More. But other than that, Deadpool is a great foil for Spider-Man, and this series balances the weird Deadpoolisms with enough familiar Spider-Man bits to not cross off either group of fans. I'm saying fan club certified. I'm ready to go. Three, two, one.
1: Yeah, I don't know about you, Mark, but uh, my Spider-Man Deadpool number two was either missing some pages or it had one of the most bizarre page turns ever printed. But even still, I love this issue, though not quite as much as the last one. One of my worries about this as an ongoing was whether or not this story could find a way to feel natural and find a compelling way to stitch all of these various adventures together. But I, I think by treating Peter as the other, you know, like and, – and limiting the view to Deadpool's vision as an outsider to Parker and Spider-Man and Parker Industries, the story has kind of a really intriguing outsider's viewpoint of everything that Peter has been doing. And it paints like a really compelling and possibly nefarious view of the Peter Parker character – that's not appearing in the main ASM title. And I'm kind of hooked on, on that kind of weird outsider perspective. So I'm calling this one fan club certified.
0: What are, you, what are you talking about with the page turn?
1: There was the moment where like Deadpool is like strung up upside down and the page turns and suddenly this whole goblin army is attacking and Deadpool is like falling off a building.
0: Oh, I got to go back and check that out.
1: The only reason I say that is because uh, Kane, who did our review, wrote about that too. And I was like, huh, let me read this. And then I read it and I was like, yeah, what the hell is that? (laughs) Um, Nobody else in any other review I've read has mentioned it. But like to me, it was super baffling. It's like it missed like the conflict of the story. Like it just jumped. I don't know. You'll have to tell me if your book does that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I have it digitally downloaded, so maybe it didn't do that.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Did you remember how the goblin started attacking?
0: I I, I have to go back and look. Yeah, okay. All right, Radioactive Spider Gwen number five. Dan, Um, you want to count me in?
1: Yeah, uh, we were kind of, you know, we had different viewpoints in the last issue, so I'm curious what you think about this one. Yeah. So I'm counting you in. Radioactive Spider Gwen in three, two, one. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Dan. Just when I think this series has gotten over some of its hiccups since the relaunch, I I get hit with something like this. Uh, Jason Latour forgoes developing his main character, who I still don't feel I know enough about, despite having a handful of issues with her name on the cover, in favor of more world building, making this a Frank Castle, Matt Murdock, George Stacy heavy issue. Issue. Okay, so those bits were unquestionably well executed, but I like like I just said, it's not like we have this huge catalog of Gwen content to lean back on, and and and. You know, to have the creative team just push the pause button like that is very disjointed for me. Um, well, especially you have, after that cliffhanger. Yeah, I mean, you have moments that feel rushed, and then moments where everything is decompressed, Bendis style. I, I, I just don't know what they're trying to go for here. I'm saying puny Parker. All right, Dan, your turn. Three, two, one.
1: Yeah, in this issue, we welcomed uh, guest artist Chris Visions, and I have to admit. I vastly preferred this bold style to Robbie's artwork. Inventive layouts, clever lettering, bold and unique line work, and that Daredevil shirt. Uh, This is what I want from his so-called alternative take on Spider-Man. That's not to say that Robbie's designs weren't stunning when they, you know, appeared for the first time. I just think that he's kind of shown his limits as a visual storyteller. Still, good art isn't enough to make me think that Spider-Gwen still has, you know a clear story that it's telling. Uh, When the story focuses on Matt Murdock and George Stacey, I thought it was really interesting, but all the other things like Silk and Captain America, I could care less about, even if I think they're leading towards this Omega crossover. Still, like last issue, the conversation between George and Matt, no matter how good, it still reads like the end of a long story about the two. And that's not to say it isn't interesting, But I just don't care about either of these characters enough or their relationship. So I'm calling this one Puny Parker.
0: You're seven seconds over, Dan.
1: Oh, my goodness. I failed. Stop talking. That that puts us equal, I guess. Or maybe I've done it more times than you. Stop
0: talking. Uh, Spider-Man 2099, number six.
1: All right, Mark. Three, two, one.
0: All right, I know I sound like a broken record here, but I fail to see where this series fits in anymore. Like Spider-Gwen, this whole reboot has been very herky-jerky, and I'm having a difficult time figuring out what the objective of this series is, to sell other 2099 characters? Okay, well, then just set the series in 2099 like the original book and have a field day rebuilding the universe like you did in the 1990s. Instead, this is just an unfocused mishmash where plot ideas are introduced and dropped, and try as Peter David might, I just do not care about this whole Captain America subplot. Sorry, Puny Parker. All right, Dan. Three, two, one.
1: You know, something is going wrong in a Marvel comic when the inhumans show up in the book. I have no idea what is going on with Spider Man 2099. Sorry. So I don't even know what's going on with Spider Man 29 either. But uh, <laughs> this book has gotten so far away from its central premise and it started so many loose plots that I can't even keep up with it and I suspect readers can't either or other readers rather because I'm reading it as well yet again we get another slugfest in the book that makes me think I'm reading a 90s comic you know for all the bad reasons remember when Spider-Man 2099 number one sold over 100,000 copies because fans demanded it those fans have pretty much abandoned this book and I don't blame them so I'm calling this one Puny Parker all right Spider Woman number four. Can we get to some positivity?
0: I'm going to say, spoiler alert, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Spider Woman number four in three, two, one.
0: well, what a wonderful conclusion to the Jessica Drew pregnancy angle, which was written with heart and sincerity by Dennis Hopeless and featured gorgeous artwork from Javier Rodriguez. I'm four years removed from the birth of my child, but this comic really struck a chord with me in terms of the almost instantaneous transformation a parent experiences once the child was born. Now we have great, aven- great adventures ahead with a child, and something that I once worried would be a gimmick has been used to greatly enhance and advance the character. Kudos to the creative team and Marvel for doing such an honest story about the birth of a child in a superhero comic fan club certified all right dan are you as uh impregnated with glee as i am about this i'm impregnated with glee about what you just said (laughs) there you go (laughs) three two one mark
1: in a just world this book will be selling more than amazing spider-man every month because i'm gonna say it again This is my favorite book Marvel is publishing right now. All right, Vision is very good, and Wolverine is very good, too. But if you missed out on Superior Foes of Spider-Man, consider this your chance to make it up and pick up an incredible book that I know many of you aren't reading. Here we get the birth of Jess's baby, as Mark said, and the... Boy, could it have not been handled better. The pages following the birth of some of the most badass pages I've ever read as Jess picks up a laser gun and just goes to town on some scrawls. Here's a note to scrawls out there if you're listening. Don't impersonate a woman and then try years later to get in the way of the birth of her child. She will brutally murder you. Period. End of story. Fan club certified.
0: All right, Dan. Uh, next up is going to be Carnage number five. The end of the first act of Carnage. Let's see if we agree on this one.
1: Are you going to be brutal, blood, whatever? Okay, I'm going to get into it. That was terrible. All right, three, (laughs) two, one.
0: Well, this comic seems to pass the litmus test in terms of the longevity of the series. With Carnage always being tagged as a miniseries star, having a full arc come to a satisfying conclusion while setting up the next one, even with no cliffhangers per the star of the series. The pleasant surprise. Meanwhile, Jerry Conway and Mike Perkins continue to play up the dark elements of Monster Magazine storytelling with sardonic humor and nuanced commentary about real-world affairs. It says something when the mass-murdering soci- sociopath who stars in your series is only like the third weirdest thing in this book, behind cultists and amnesiac werewolves. Uh, now shut up, Rock, and give me a fan club certified.
1: <laughs> I love, I love the. the... The concept of amnesiac werewolves. <laughs> As if their lives weren't complicated enough.
0: Exactly. Uh, so you go up in three, two, one.
1: I have to admit, Mark, that I thought that this issue was a bit of a letdown in that it's written like a conclusion, but very little is actually concluded here. And the artwork to me I thought was a bit too busy and often left me asking – Like myself, what is happening and who are these people involved? Sometimes it just wasn't that clear. However, my biggest complaint is that this reads like, a standard conclusion to a symbiote story, which is typically fine, except that I think Conway has managed to surprise us in so many ways of previous issues, only to eventually get us here to this big slug, slug fest between a ton of symbiotes. I kind of expected something else. And that's not to say it's a bad comic, I just didn't think it's on par with the rest of this awesome series. And I'm hoping that despite this story being concluded, the next arc will continue to seamlessly tell the stories of these characters, because I like them a lot, and I hope that it gets the justice it deserves. So, ah, Parker, mildly.
0: I see. All right.
1: We're headed to the multiverse, Mark, to talk Web Warriors number four. So uh, let me count you in in three, two, one.
0: Well, as much as I've been grooving on this series, I feel like it lost a little steam in setting up the final chapter of this of this first arc. This comic featured a ton of exposition and less of the fast and fun world-jumping and discovery of the previous issues. Spider-Man UK's final gambit in this comic also seemed a little out of nowhere. However, I am emboldened by the fact that the letters page is insinuating that the series may evolve into a Suicide Squad type concept, with a rotating cast of Spider characters each arc, some of whom won't survive. Still, of the first four issues, I think this was the weakest, so kind of like what you did with carnage i'm saying uh uh, uh, a slight puny parker
1: yeah that's that's fair Uh, we're gonna get spider punk in a couple issues so that's exciting
0: exactly all right dan so uh you're up in three two one
1: Mark, I'm with you on the randomness of Spider-Man UK's, like, motivating speech. I'm using quotations here. <laughs> um, and the really confusing plans that they drum up in in uh, steampunk world. But I have to admit that I loved everything with Spider-Gwen and Uncle Ben in this issue. The battle with that, like, infinite number of Dr. Octopuses is one of the most fun experiences I had in comics this week. Like, Baldion stretched his creative muscle with this one, coming up with a whole manner of Dr. Octopus variants that had me laughing and rereading pages to see if I missed anything in the background. This book gets a huge pass from me for one reason alone. One of the Dr. Octopuses is an octopus, like an octopus, with metal human arms instead of tentacles that I'm henceforth calling my spirit animal. I mean, how could you deny the charms of an actual octopus, Dr. Octopus, fan club certified?
0: It was pretty charming.
1: <laughs> that was a lot of comics to talk about, Mark.
0: Yes, it was. So hopefully in two weeks' time we won't have like 900 B-reviews to do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, uh, and we disagreed on some. So we broke our streak of agreeing about everything.
0: Hooray! Fighting is, fighting is fun.
3: Said I do to love. Don't ever call again. For I must
1: have.
2: You can find all of our new Amazing Spider-Talk and old Superior Spider-Talk podcasts at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching Amazing Spider-Talk. And if you do, please leave a rating and comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll read it on the air. If you have any opinions on these comics or any questions, email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk@gmail.com. at gmail.com, call 9 Red Goblin. Or tweet at us with okay to print and we what? What is okay to print?
1: It's they used to put it in the back of that's how you get your mail submitted to the letters column in the back of okay, Spider Man. Well Max. we're gonna have to do the end of this. Can you no, stop No, No, no. Okay. keep going. Well, it's, okay, it's good to okay, know.
2: okay. Or tweet at us with okay to print and we will address and read them on the air. You nailed it that time.
1: <laughs> this is the best copy ever, right, girls? <laughs> absolutely
3: also be sure to check out both of their facebook pages that would be dan's page and mark's page and subscribe to their sister podcast the ultimate spin to keep up with the adventures of spider gwen and miles morales also don't forget to check out their friendly neighborhood spider talk members club that helps support the show this week you could win a hardcover copy of Amazing, Fantastic, Incredible, A Marvelous Memoir, the new Stanley biography comic written by Stanley and Peter David. In addition, members of our club get weekly digital comics and T-shirts in the mail. So click on the logo on both of their sites and sign up today. We're going to have to get
1: you to do that every week. That sounded great. (laughs) I want to go sign up now
3: i should sign up why am i not on these lists we just
1: we just sound like used car dealers but you actually sound like someone who can really sell product
0: (laughs) oh she can sell product all right uh amy dan where can we find you on the internets
1: what about you amy
2: uh well i don't think you want to find me on facebook but actually i don't have any public uh things on social media at this point uh so I lurk on Instagram, Twitter,
1: Facebook. Well, what are they? Tell the, tell the good people.
2: <laughs> well, if you want to find me on Facebook, you can find me by looking for my name, Amy Sandifer, or just being really creepy and going to Dan's page and finding me through that. Uh, or alternatively, you can go to Instagram, and I'm at Amy Sandifer there. And on Twitter, I'm at TX Amster, Texas Amster, because I'm from Texas. Oh.
0: You know, Amy, Amy, showing contempt for our audience is not a surefire way to, to entice our listeners. I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> Although Mark does it every week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's true, but it's a gimmick for me.
2: I, I, I mean no contempt. Like, I, I have no contempt for any of the listeners. I I would stalk people on Facebook. No, I, I, I don't.
1: Yeah, know. right. You do actively. Yeah,
2: it's true. It's just light stalking. It's fine. Yeah. not knocking on their door, you know.
1: And of course, you can find me at all the usual places superiorspidertalk.com and at Twitter at supspidertalk. That's an excellent handle. Thank you. I thought about it for a long time.
3: <laughs> I have no doubt. Well, Mark, where can we find you?
0: Well, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at blog. guaranteed not to stalk you there. Uh, or you can find me on www.superiorspidertalk.com, uh, where you will see a recently completed top Spider-Man mutant story list. Will the Deadpool issue we always talk about show up, Dan? Or did it show up, I should say? <laughs> uh, yes, it did. Spoiler alert. <laughs> What about you, Aaron?
3: I don't remember what my name is on Facebook. I know you can search Aaron Hadley, but my Twitter handle is at Aaron Hadley. And I think I'm also on Instagram possibly as Aaron Hadley. I I'm not really great at this
1: stuff. Well that's wonderful.
0: Uh, so, so Aaron, I, I, I got to ask, you know, because I, I I missed one of the last big family reunions with 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 the in-laws um, that I heard that um, y- your your uncle once had a really great love or a couple of loves. Um, that just kind of slipped out of his fingers, and you know, kind of, kind of got panged with the regrets from that. But, but, uh, what, why don't you tell us what what actually happened there? What 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 happened to your uncle's great loves?
3: Oh gosh, my uncle Ben—he was known for being a passionate man, um, and he inspired an equal amount of passion in the the women that he loved. And, um, these two women in particular, um, May and, um, and, uh, Emma, they, um, they both loved him at the same time with the, with the fire, the passion of a thousand sons and, um, neither knew about the other because my uncle Ben, uh, was not an entirely honest man and he had insatiable appetites and, um. On one particular hot August evening, um, Emma and May crossed paths, and they learned that the man that they shared such a powerful love for had double-crossed both of them. So, in in a fit of fury, they started tearing at each other, and um, it was it was a terrible scene. It was a terrible scene, and Uncle Ben he. He jumped in between the two of them to tear them apart, but uh, it, it 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 escalated quickly, and um, there was a there was a tractor, and a trident, and there's still a lawsuit, so I can't go into too much detail. But it ended with um, Uncle Ben in pieces, literally. Um, but I remember his dying words to me because I happened upon the scene uh, when I heard the sirens. I held him in my arms, uh, or pieces of him, and (laughs) I'm getting choked up, excuse me. He whispered in a broken voice, Aaron, you must always remember that with great podcast must also come Amazing Spider Talk.